So I started playing guitar in about fifth grade, and I grew up going to a small Lutheran church, so the only time I would play my guitar at church would just be behind a hymn along with the organ. Uh, so I'd never been in a worship band. I never volunteered at a kids' camp until my friend in high school asked me if I'd be willing to play electric guitar in a worship band for a week of junior high camp at Little Galilee in Clinton. The idea of this made me really nervous because I'd never volunteered like this before. I'd never served like this. So once I got to the camp, I figured out that I'd be on the back of the stage. I'd be behind all the lights and no one would see me. I wouldn't draw any attention to myself. So I felt a little bit better. But as the week went on and as I kept playing these songs and hearing these lyrics and seeing all these kids experience this freedom to worship with their hands raised and their voices so loud, most of them lost their voices by the end of the week. For me to see that freedom in these junior hires allowed me to have this freedom to worship God. And then I started raising my hands and I started singing with all my voice. And I started really knowing what it meant to be in communion with God and to really just worship and praise Him. So after that week, I started volunteering more at Windsor, helping to serve in the student worship services um, in the worship band. And I helped Jason out with random tasks around the building and things like that. And Katie also asked me to serve in the adult worship as well. So the more and more I served at Windsor, the more and more I felt like this is what I was supposed to do with my life. The more and more I hung out with students, the more and more I felt like I could do this for a living. So, all in all, because of this week of camp, because of helping out at Windsor, it led me to the decision to go into full-time ministry and to become a youth pastor. It changed the course of my life. So Connor's story, though, uh, is not is not a rare story. It's a common story where uh, you receive an invitation which comes by way of an opportunity to meet needs with love, to serve, to be selfless in your service, and to truly make a difference in the lives of others. And you wonder, is this going to be possible? Can this happen? Maybe that has to do with student ministry. Maybe that has to do with a missions trip. Uh, Maybe that has to do with um, uh, meeting needs locally, serving at Salt and Light. Uh, But you are given this opportunity. Someone says, I see God's giftedness through you in a way that can make a difference in the lives of others. And so you just take this invitation and uh, you take a deep breath and then you serve and God shows up. And it's a life-changing experience for those who are served by God through you. It's a life-changing experience for you as you are given this, uh, this, um, this moment of spiritual worship where you're able, you walk away from this, you're thinking, God's using me in a way that I didn't think he was going to 
use me at all. Oh my goodness. Oh my. And then, and then the, light bulb come, the light bulb comes on. This is church. Oh, this is church. This is what we're talking about here. And it's just like putting on a new set of lenses. And uh, as I'm looking uh, at our congregation, getting the nods and the head shaking, yes, yeah, been there. It's, I mean, this, it is part of God's grace. This is church. We are in a series called This is Church, if you're new here to Windsor Road. And we've been talking about, uh, so how does God define church? What is church as God understands it, all right? And so we've been looking at just focusing on words, specific words. And so we began our series in Psalm 95, and the word was worship. And what we learned from Psalm 95 is the most important thing about worship is not what we give to God, but what he's going to give us when we gather, which is his word. Today, if you hear his voice, Psalm 95 says. Today, if you hear his voice, the most, the most important gift that we can receive is God's word. God's, because as Moses said to Israel of old, these are not idle words. They are your life. They are your life. So when we gather here, the most important giving is not going to be done by us to God, but God to us. He gives us his word. And that leads us to the second word in this is church, and that's the word grow. God's word, when it gets planted into our hearts, the fertile, open, listening, hearing, receptive, humble heart, it will grow. Your life will grow when God's word gets planted in your heart to the degree that then you become a blessing to other people. And it not just happens individually, it happens as a family, as a congregation, as a community. And that was the third word that we looked at last week. Worship, grow, community. Why can we be a community? We are a community because Christ is for us. Hebrews chapter 10 Verses 19 to 25. Christ is for us, so now we can be for one another. We can be for one. Community happens when we are for one another. And uh, Hebrews taught us about what that looks like. And one of the features is, uh, Hebrews 10 says, let us uh, consider how we may stir one another up toward love and good works. Stir one another up. That word means to pastor means to irritate, means to agitate, means to annoy. It's annoy one another toward love and good works. And how that fits with today's theme, serve, serve. So it is my blessed privilege to pastor us today, to annoy us, to agitate us toward love and good works as we serve, as we meet needs with love and um, The question that I want us to consider as we serve is the question, what is it that will sustain our service throughout our entire life? What is it that will be the fuel, the octane, that will keep us uh, serving, not just for a season of life? Uh, When I was growing up, my dad coached uh, Little League Baseball, and he coached on my team, he was our manager, while I was in grade school, but when I went on to middle school and high school and other things, he didn't keep coaching. That was just for a season 
in life. What we're talking about is not just for a temporary, but throughout our entire Christian walk. What's going to sustain that? Well, that's, and, and how are we going to do that in a way where we're not comparing ourselves to one another? Right? This can easily become a place where, you know, well, so-and-so knows more about the Bible than I uh, no, they don't know where to turn. I know, uh, they know where to turn in these passages of scriptures. I don't. And, and we find ourselves comparing ourselves, and that, that, that's a, a, a road to nowhere. Well, what will keep us from doing? And, and what, about, what about serving with a sincere heart? What's going to help make that happen? So sustainable service, a service where we're not experiencing, you know, ministry envy, and the kind of service where... You, no, our, 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 um, our hearts are clean. There's a passage of Scripture that helps us through that, and I want us to turn there. In the New Testament book of Romans, chapter 12, I want us to look at verses 1 through 13. You'll find Romans, chapter 12, on page 947 of your church Bibles. And if you don't have a copy of God's Word to call your own, um, Please feel free, uh, there's a copy of God's Word in the pouch in front of you. Please receive it as a, as a, a, a gift from this church family. And I'm going to read Romans 12, verses 1 through 13, page 947 in your church Bibles. I'll also have it up on the screen. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, and, and, and that also means brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone, among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another." Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, in proportion to our faith. If service, in our serving. The one who teaches, in his teaching. The one who exhorts, in his exhortation. The one who contributes, in generosity. The one who leads, with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy, with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. This is God's Word. So it seems to me that as we're thinking about 
sustainable service, if we're thinking about service that will avoid any kind of envy between one another, if we're thinking about the kind of service that's, that's going to happen uh, uh, from the heart, what the Apostle Paul is saying in Romans 12, 1 through 13, I'm going to try to say it in one sentence. It's our big idea, and here it is. Here it is. God's mercies fuel our ministries of genuine love to one another. God's mercies fuel our ministries of genuine love to one another. Do you hear the motive in that sentence? Did you hear the aim, the objective, the audience of that sentence? Did you hear the heart of that sentence? That's what we're looking at in these verses as we consider what it looks like to serve in a way that pleases God, in a ser- to serve in a way that, that meets needs with love. God's mercies fuel our ministries of genuine love to one another. Let's first consider the motive. That's, that's what's in the phrase, God's mercies fuel our ministries. God's mercies fuel our ministries. Paul says this in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the what? By the mercies of God. That's the motive. Mercy is the motive. The mercies of God. The multiple mercies of God. Uh, And it's so important for us to get this. Especially when we consider the subject of serving. Because it's so easy for someone like me to stand up here and say to uh, the congregation, now church, come on, come on, do more, try harder, let's go, come on. And it's, you know, get a little girl up here, look at little Susie here. Who's going to teach her? Who's going to help her? Who's going to grow her? I squeeze her arm a little tight and she starts crying. Come on! You know? Just kind of lay on the guilt. It's so easy to devolve into that, isn't it? It's, and to where, to where serving becomes kind of a, well, it's you know, law-keeping, score-keeping, going to serve. It's almost like a, a, a spiritual social security system. I'm going to serve. I'm going to make my serving deposits so that one day I can, you know, just stop serving and kind of live off of. And that's not what we're reading here. That's not what we're seeing here at all. But it's so easy to be driven by guilt or should or if you really or if you want. You know, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about the mercies of God. Therefore, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God. Now, whenever you see the word therefore in your Bible, the word therefore, you just ask yourself, what's that therefore? And what is that therefore? So that means that what Paul is about to say in the coming verses is grounded upon what he has already said previously. So chapter 12, verse 1, actually refers to all that Paul has said in chapters 1 through 11. Romans 1, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for the salvation for all who believe, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. And then in Romans chapters 1 through 3, Paul gives us what, What is bad news? 
No one is righteous before God. No one. Irreligious people, they're not righteous before God. And religious people, they're not righteous before God. No one is righteous, period, in any way, shape, or form. That's bad news. Romans 4 through 8, we get the good news. Actually, it starts in Romans 3, 21. But now, a righteousness from God has been made known apart from the law through which the, uh, the law and the prophets testify a righteousness that comes by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. That's the good news. Romans 4, 5, 6, 7, 8. That's why in 8, 1 it says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8 says, uh, if God is for us, who can be against us? And his point is, God is for us. Nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is ours, through Christ Jesus our Lord. And then in Romans 9 through 11, Paul just, you just hear his heart. He says, I want my, I want my own countrymen to know of this life-changing righteousness that comes from heaven by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And, and uh, he concludes in chapter 11, from, from him and through him and in him are all things to him be glory forever. And God's people said, amen. Therefore, Romans 12, 1, I appeal to you, brothers, in view of God's mercy. It's so important that we get the motive right. And Verse 1 establishes the motive. Our motive is the mercies of God. Um, So 400 years ago, a pastor named Martin Luther talked about this. And he used the phrase, the phrases are in your outlines, passive righteousness and active righteousness. Passive righteousness and active righteousness. He says it's as if you are living your life on two planes, vertically and horizontally. And passive righteousness occurs vertically as God gives the gift of righteousness to us. Without our merit, without our effort, without our earning it, without our working for it. Um, uh, Passive righteousness is God giving to us what we don't deserve, what we could never earn or attain on our own effort or power. God does this by grace through faith in Jesus. Passive righteousness shows up in the book of Ephesians. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. Shows up in Titus chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of righteous things we've done, but because of his mercy, passive righteousness. God gives this to us as a gift by grace through faith in Jesus. Active righteousness is then our love, Kindness, which we've received from heaven to one another. Active righteousness. What I'm trying to say is that God does not need our good works, but our neighbor does. God does not need our love, but our neighbor does. God does not need our kindness, but our neighbor does. Passive righteousness we receive from God. Active righteousness 
is the love that we share having been flooded with his grace and mercy. And once that connects to your spirit, it changes the course of your life. You see life in a whole new way. And as long as we keep thinking that our service or our ministry or our goodness or our loving kindness somehow gets us somewhere in terms of merit or earning with God, we're not going to serve sustainably. It's a recipe for either pride or exhaustion. And and Martin Luther, he, he wrote a hymn. He was a hymn writer. And he shows this point here of passive righteousness and active righteousness. When he says this This wonderful hymn, fruit of faith therein be showing that thou art to others loving, to thy neighbor thou wilt do as God in love hath done to you. See, the symbol of our faith is an old rugged cross, not a ladder, not a ladder. So it's God's mercies that fuel our ministries. God's mercies. That's our motive. That's our motive. That's what God wants. God, help me serve. Help me minister. Help me do what you want done. Not out of my effort, but as an overflow of your love through me for others. For others. That's the motive. And that then leads us to the goal. Others. The audience, the aim, the objective, we're talking about ministry that is serving one another. And when I live my life in view of God's mercies with his grace and his love as fuel for the service that happens, then I'm going to have a a sober view of myself. That's what's behind verse 3. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. So I'm going to have a sober view. of I'm, I'm not going to have to feel like I've got to compare myself with other believers or with anybody else. God's mercies keep our ego in check because we're all dependent on him. And thus we can be for one another. For one another. In church, I get to see this Uh, about twice a month. I get a front row seat at seeing this twice a month, uh, and it shows up in, uh, uh, of all places, uh, the construction uh, meetings that uh, uh, we have with the group that's uh, managing the project here for our additions and renovations. Um, um, Twice a month, we get updates on how the project's going along, and I'm a part of those meetings. Uh, Mike Simmons is a part of those meetings, and three of our elders are a part of those meetings. Uh, John Peisker and Scott Kunkel, uh, they were in first, and Jim Lopez. Is Jim here? He may be in, this may be, he may be serving in children's ministry. All right, that's all right. I was going to have him stand up, and we were going to just love on him some, but... um, I see that 
in um, a, a very clear way because, you know, okay, here are the, the, the here are the building plans, okay? This is the, this is the instruction booklet, all right? Now, um, I can read New Testament Greek because that's my training, but uh, I come to these meetings, and I'm looking at these plans, and I'm going, okay, what is metal coping? Is the metal under stress? Does it need counseling or medication? What's going on with the metal coping? What's built up E-I-F-S cornice? Well, what is that? Is that like you know, cornice. That sounds like corning ware. Is that something that's supposed to go in the oven? What about hardy trim? Hardy. What, is that like beefy? But it's trim. So that doesn't seem right. I don't get it, you know. So, aluminum storefront. Storefront, I thought we were building a children's edition. I don't quite understand what's going on here. So, so, guess what I do at these meetings? I pray. I open in prayer, and then I listen. And then, you know, when the construction jocks are on the other side of the table, and they're talking about all of these things, I'm nodding. And I, but I'm always sitting either beside Scott or Jim or John. And then I'm nodding, and then I'll look to them, and that means, what did he just say? And say it in single-syllable words that an oki can understand, all right? And then they translate, and, oh, we're all good. I mean, that's, that's honestly what's going on here. And church, listen to me. I would not even dare to venture into this without those three. And it is providential that this year our elder leadership team has two licensed architects who also are who manage and run construction companies, and then we've got a licensed engineer who manages and runs a, 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 a asphalt and bridge building company. I mean, we've, my goodness, you know, that's what's behind Romans chapter twelve when the apostle Paul says, "For as." In one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one in Christ, and individually members one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. According to the grace given to us. So if you don't like your spiritual gift, if you don't like your giftedness, take it up with God. Because it's what He wanted you to have. Let us use them. Let us use them. And so then Paul gives gives seven of these spiritual gifts, these abilities to be used for spiritual purposes, to build up uh, the the church family. And so, um, and and the purpose is to encourage and build. That's the the purpose of it. And so, so let's just quickly talk through these 
gifts. And you may have questions, well, what does this gift mean? Let me try to answer those questions here, uh, verses 7 and 8. Prophecy. What are we talking about when we talk about the gift of prophecy? I'm not so sure that that has as much to do with crystal ball, uh, you know, predicting, forecasting, as much as it is the bold delivery of a penetrating truth for the purpose of spiritual transformation. I'll say that again. Prophecy. Bold delivery, penetrating truth for the purpose of spiritual transformation. And that typically means telling the truth that people don't want to hear. So typically, people with the gift of prophecy aren't very popular because they boldly give a penetrating truth for the purpose of spiritual transformation, and it's often true that people just don't want to hear prophecy. Then they're serving. They're serving. Uh, And that word comes to us, uh, uh, the New Testament comes to us by way of of, uh, Greek language, and it's interesting, that word serving, well, we get our word deacon from that, diakonos, diakonos, deacon, deacon, diakonos, dia, through, konos, the dirt, through the dirt. What a picture of serving and it's just the believer who is not afraid to get their hands and, and, and knees, get on their hands and knees and get dirty for God in the service and ministry for others. And, uh, you know, uh, our deacon ministry team here at the church, they are true servants. And uh, uh, they serve our widows, they serve our seniors, they serve those who need help. And do you know how hard it is to try to serve servants? We had the deacon team over to um, my home just this past week because our elders just wanted to, to say, hey, we thank God for you. And so do you know how hard it is to serve deacons? I get, one of the deacons kept saying, well, can I take the garbage out? No, you can't take the garbage out. Sit down and let me serve you and you're going to like it. I mean, just, you know, it's like because they just, they're just wired. They're just wired to be other-centered. And so we just wanted to thank God for them. But through the dirt. Wow, what a picture. What a picture. You know how to tell if you're a servant? By the way you respond when you're treated like one. Well, then there's the gift of teaching, and I take this to mean the ability to explain and instruct truth in a way that answers questions like, what? Or so what? Or now what? Or what does God's truth look like in real life? Some of you have that gift. The gift of exhortation, the gift of encouragement is what we're talking about here. And that's the idea of coming alongside someone and stirring one another up toward love and good works. And especially encouragement is needed when you're experiencing a difficult stormy season in your life. Encouragement is love addressing of fear. And then Paul speaks of the gift of generosity. Notice he did not say the gift of making money. Oh, that might be a gift, but he's talking about the gift of generosity, the grace of sharing and contributing and letting the resources of God flow uh, through you to help others. And yes, God's generosity through you has helped make the all-in initiative a reality. And then there's the gift of leadership. Leadership, directing and guiding others to a place where they would not or could not go by themselves. Guiding others to a place where they would not or could not go by themselves. 
and shepherding the image of a shepherd, the shepherd who goes out before the flock uh, as opposed to cowboy-style leadership who stays behind the cattle and See, we're into shepherding here, going out before and leading and guiding. And then there's the gift of mercy. And I see this gift at every funeral I attend because the one with the gift of mercy is able to come alongside the one who is grieving and they just, seems to, they just seem to know what to say and how to say it. And their words are like cool water pouring over a thirsty, dehydrated spirit. Now, these are seven gifts that Paul mentioned. Relevant, I would say, primarily to the church at Rome. I would not say, in other words, I'm saying that's, I think that's why those gifts are mentioned. But I wouldn't say that that's an exhaustive list of the spiritual gifts. Um, Every believer has at least one gift. You have a gift. Some of us may have more than one. None of us has all the gifts. None of us. Therefore, we need each other. We need each other. And, and you may be sitting there thinking, okay, well, how do, I, how do I try to figure out what my gift is? Or how do I figure out what mine is? And, um, you know, there's all sorts of inventories and stuff that you can get online and try to figure out. But can I just maybe make it simple here by asking you two questions? And the first question is this. I'm going to ask this question next week at our starting point class. If you want to know more about Windsor Road, uh, I'd really love for you to sign up today to come to our starting point class, which is kind of our where is this church going uh, class that I do once a quarter. But I, I mention this at every starting point class, and, and I'll mention it here and now. Uh, two questions. Question number one, what does God have a heart for? What does God have a heart for? Talk to me here for a minute. What does God have a heart for? Truth, what else does God have a heart for? Love, what else? Does God have a heart for children? Does God have a heart for missions? Does God have a heart for the poor? Yeah, okay, all right, you get the idea. I mean, the list can be endless, right? God has a heart for. Now, question number two is this, and here it is. Which piece of God's heart do I have? See, make a list of what all the things that God has a heart for. Now, which piece of God's heart do I have? And that may be a, the beginning of an exploration of figuring out, wow, how God has wired me to be a blessing to other people, you see. That's what we're talking about. The biggest mistake that anyone can think in a church our size is this. They don't need me. Things seem to be going okay. Listen, so what are you saying? We have to be in crisis mode for you to be used? What? Really? No, no, God's gifted each of us in a way that is meant to be a blessing to one another. So, so his mercy is what sustains our ministry. And his mercy is what maintains our humble dependence to serve one another. Um, so I experienced this 
two years ago when I had an opportunity to go to the Philippines. Uh, our missionaries, Roger and Dixie Shoemaker, uh, are just doing a fantastic job. They have just been uh, a, a blessing to so many. They minister in Davao. And Roger asked me to come and teach uh, in high school, public high school, evidences for the existence of God. Public high school, Davao City. Um, I said, I'd love to do that. Love that opportunity. He said, I'm also going to put you in two colleges. I said, wonderful. And so over the course of like nine days, uh, gave you know, uh, about 20 presentations. And it was uh, quite an experience. The night, so I, we flew over there um, and got settled. And the night before the first day of classes at the high school, and I was thinking about preparing these lessons with high schoolers in mind and what would that look like and where are juniors and seniors, et cetera, in there. And so um, the night before, Roger said, now, by the way, um, high school starts in seventh grade. I said, come again? He said, high school starts in seventh grade here in Dallas City. Okay. That was a piece of information that might have been helpful three months ago, you know, because it's not like I'm going to run back to the office and just the night before, and I'm thinking, we're gonna, how am I going to explain the cosmological argument for the existence of God to seventh graders? How's that going to happen? And so, I had a, I, I panicked. I mean, it was real. <laughs> it was a panic. And it was like the Holy Spirit just, you know, encouraged my heart. Teach. Just teach. Show up. Teach, share, love, encourage, and um, you do what you can do, and I'll do what only I can do. You do what only you can do, and I'll do what only I can do. And by God's grace and mercy, I just, I just was, I was blessed. Uh, the, the, the interaction in, in, the, in the 90-degree classroom. They didn't have any air conditioning in Davao City. And, uh, and God showed up. And as Connor said earlier, it changes the course of your life. I'm inviting you. I'm inviting you to trust. To trust Christianity is not let go and let God. Christianity is trust God and get going. Okay? His mercies fuel our ministry of genuine love to one another. That's, that is God's truth as we seek to become a life-changing community passionately pursuing Christ. I'm going to pray. And uh, then uh, Emily and the band are going to come back up. We're going to sing. And then I'm going to come up with a little more challenge. And then we'll dismiss.